for the last couple of months about the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. And, and I was just thinking as, as we were even getting the service started, it's easy for me, and I think it's probably easy for you, we hear about the fruit of love, we hear about the fruit of patience, we even listen to an entire sermon or a couple sermons on those and then we just kind of move on with the rest of our lives. And so I wanted to just, just pause for a minute before we begin into today's fruit of faithfulness. How's, how's kindness been for you the last week? What about goodness? Are you seeing in your life the Spirit produce those fruit? Have you been more aware and conscious of the needs of others? Have you been more alert to rise to the occasion to meet the needs of others that are in and around your life? What about the fruit of patience? Uh, have you grown in your patience with those whom you work with, with those whom you live with? Is your patience growing and developing all of this stemming from love and having joy and peace, these other fruit that we've discussed? And if not then pray. This does take work on our part. The Spirit longs to produce this fruit in your life, longs to revolutionize your life so that you look and live like Jesus. But we have to do planting and we have to do watering. It is God who does bring the increase in that as well, though. And so I just challenge you, don't forget these other fruit as we continue to move on through. If you're like me, I could listen to a sermon on kindness and goodness every week, and I still wouldn't get it. I would still need reminded the next week and the next week of this call that's been put on us. Uh, we are here to image and mirror Jesus to the world around us. And we do that as we are faithful to live out this fruit um, in our lives. My beard, my beard's getting in there, I think. So you like my beard? It's, it's about to get shaved, I'm afraid. It's getting a little too. Well, you're going to have to get some sort of big mic thing that holds way out here because it's so manly. Okay, it's just so manly that it just interferes with the mic. And so that's, that's, that's what, just shave the ones. <laughs> Uh, I could start a new trend. I don't know if anybody would follow, but on September 11th in 2001, a day we all remember, Omar Eduardo Rivera, a blind computer technician, was working on the 71st floor of the World Trade Center. He had his guide dog, Dorado, with him, and when the hijacked plane hit the tower, Rivera knew it would take him a long time to evacuate the building, but he wanted his Labrador Retriever to have a chance to get out. And so he unclipped the leash in the crowded stairwell. He, he says, I thought I was lost forever. The noise, the heat were terrifying, but I had to give Dorado a chance to escape. And so I unclipped the leash, ruffled his head and gave him a nudge and ordered Dorado to leave. Dorado was swept downstairs by the mass of evacuating people. But a few minutes later, Rivera felt the dog nuzzle his legs. Dorado had come right back to his side. Dorado and a co-worker then helped Rivera climb down 70 flights of stairs, which took nearly an hour. And soon after they escaped the tower, 
the building collapsed, and Rivera says he owes his life to his faithful dog. Hawkeye is a Labrador retriever and is also proof that dogs too suffer from heartbreak. During Navy SEAL John Tumelson's funeral on August 19th, Hawkeye ambled up to his owner's coffin, dropped to the ground with a heavy sigh. Tumelson's cousin, Lisa Pimbleton, snapped this photo of the devoted dog and posted it on Facebook. And the heartwarming photo was soon shared around the world. I remember seeing that particular photo. You probably do too. These stories remind us that it is hard to find someone or something that's more faithful, committed, loyal than a good dog. We call them man's best friend for these particular reasons. The verdict is still out on my dog, by the way, if he will be so faithful and loyal and compassionate. But maybe you have a dog or have had a dog like Dorado or Hawkeye. Maybe you've had a friend in your life who was there in the, the good times, who was there in the bad times, and they were loyal, they were faithful to you through those dark days. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Who are those faithful people that have been a part of your life who are there, like I say, good days, bad days? Does anybody come to your mind? I, I just, just stop for a minute. I, I hope things, people, and maybe circumstances come to your Is there anybody that comes to your mind that, that you just, when you think of them, you think they are loyal, they are faithful? Anybody want to share? Yeah, John. Very good. Choncho's pretty faithful. Yeah, he's got, a, he's got a good dog. Most people around here know Choncho. He's come to many events and eaten your food and then thrown it up. But he will eat your food and throw it up. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else? Anybody else come to mind when you think of somebody loyal or faithful that's been with you? My first wife. Your first Oh, dear. <laughs> Holly is his first wife, by the way, yes. And she has definitely, as you can tell, stuck with him through thick and thin. <laughs> yes, yes, she gets an extra crown in heaven, for sure, for sure. Anybody else? I don't want to skip or over anybody. Your friend Helen, there through... Both of you there for each other through lots of different circumstances in life. Mitzi, I even thought of you in relation. You've told of your neighbor when your husband died, who you said you and Levi probably wouldn't have survived, but you had a loyal neighbor up the road that brought you food and just checked on you, took care of you. What was her, what's the name? Sandra. Sandra. I just always remember that particular story of what loyalty and faithfulness. Thank God for faithful companions. Thank God for those, whether they're furry or, or, or just extra hairy people, you know, whatever, whatever they are, whoever they are in your life. Um, we created beings. We can be faithful because the God who created us in his image is faithful. And so this morning, I, I want to begin there. I want to begin by introducing you, um, reintroducing you to the most faithful being 
in all of the universe. And it's our God. Deuteronomy 7.9 says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him. Consider this, this closing line from a hymn that Paul presents in 2 Timothy. He says this, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Oh, that is so very good. The psalmist wrote, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with you, faithfulness all around you. Psalm 36, 5, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heaven and your faithfulness to the clouds. From cover to cover, the Bible tells the story of a faithful God. A God who is loyal, a God who doesn't lie, a God who never deceives, a God who is true, a God who has never once broken covenant with his people. Arthur Pink wrote this, he never forgets, he never fails, never falters, never forfeits his word. A.W. Tozer describes God's faithfulness this way, God will never cease to be what he is and who he is. Everything God says or does must be in accord with His faithfulness. He will always be true to Himself, to His works, and to His children. Now I want you to consider for a moment, and there are so many other passages of Scripture that we could look at in, in describing the faithfulness of God. One that even came to my mind as we were singing that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, is Lamentations 3. Right in the middle of the worst day of his life, Jeremiah seeing the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, in the middle of describing that in this, this mournful, lamenting way, he says, but I remember the Lord. Great is his faithfulness. And you may be here, and this may be a rough week, a rough season of life for you. I, I'm, I'm encouraging you today, remember the Lord. Remember that his faithfulness is great and his mercies are new every morning. But I want you to consider the necessity of his faithfulness for us. This isn't just one of those attributes of God, one of those characteristics that doesn't really matter. This matters a great deal for us. We are dependent upon the faithfulness of God for our final salvation. What if God just simply said today, well, if you're not holy yet, too bad. None of us would make it because none of us are holy. We're still dependent upon what Christ is doing. He's going to make us completely new again. There's a resurrection coming. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 assures us that Christ will sustain us to the end, guiltless because, here's the, here's the verse, God who is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We can know that we are saved even though we mess up every day because God is faithful and he will see us through. Consider the necessity of God's faithfulness when we enter into the trials and the temptations of life. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that our trials are common to man, but what's central to that verse? The next line is this, God is faithful. And he will not tempt you above your ability to handle. Oh, what a great promise we find.
Consider the necessity of God's faithfulness to our ultimate sanctification. First Thessalonians 5 reads this way. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He will make you holy. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. And he will surely do it. He doesn't break his word. The necessity of God's faithfulness for the forgiveness of our sins. That verse that many of us cherish, especially as we move into sin in our life. First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Consider the necessity of God's faithfulness for deliverance through times of suffering. Many of you are in this particular season in life. 1 Peter 4.19. I hope this speaks to you. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Here's an interesting phrase at the end, though. While doing good while still producing the fruit of goodness in your life. Entrust yourself to the faithful creator. Consider the necessity of God's faithfulness for the fulfillment of the ultimate hope of eternal life. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. No matter how dark the days get here in this life and how difficult the trials that we move through and we endure, he is faithful to see us through to eternity. We can easily see that every aspect of the Christian life is dependent and rests upon the faithfulness of God. And we have the assurance that the Lord is faithful to all of his promises, Psalm 145, verse 13. And so in our effort to cultivate this, this fruit of faithfulness in our own lives, the first thing we have to do is understand who God is. We need to dig into his word and understand what it means. What is the significance of his faithfulness? The second thing is to believe him. To put our trust in him. Because he is faithful. There is no one with a better track record of faithfulness in keeping promises than our God. We must trust him to be faithful. Third, we must strive to cultivate this character in our lives as well. Recognizing this, this is not a natural virtue. This is a spiritual fruit. This is something that the Spirit longs to produce in those who follow Jesus. Solomon wrote this, many a man claims to have unfailing love. There's been a lot of songs written about that, right? but a faithful man who can find. Bridges writes this, many people will profess faithfulness, but very few will actually demonstrate it. And friends, we must demonstrate it. We who claim to follow Jesus, to love him, to want to know him, uh, to want to make him known to other people, we must be the people who demonstrate faithfulness in our day-to-day -day lives. 
A great reminder here is um, one of my favorite verses, just because I, I find it so truthful and piercing. But Deuteronomy, or Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not a man that he should lie. <laughs> or a son of man that he should change his mind? Has he said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken it, and will he not fulfill it? I want you to listen again as, as theologian Arthur Pink. Here's what he writes. He brings some heat with this one, okay? Unfaithfulness is one of the most outstanding sins of these evil days. In the business world, a man's word is with exceeding rare exception no longer his bond. In the social world, marital infidelity abounds on every hand, the sacred bonds of wedlock being broken with as little regard as discarding an old garment. In the ecclesiastical realm or in the church, thousands who have solemnly covenanted to preach the truth make no scruple to attack and deny it. Nor can reader or writer claim complete immunity from this fearful sin. And how many ways have we been unfaithful to Christ and to the light and privileges which God has entrusted to us? How refreshing then. How unspeakably blessed to lift our eyes above this scene of ruin and behold one who is faithful, one who is faithful in all things and faithful at all times. If we get nothing else today, get this, he is faithful. You may not be, the people around you may not be, but he is faithful. And so what what does this mean for us? What does our call to faithfulness look like? What does it mean when it's applied to me, to you? What, what do we mean when we say that, that person right there is a faithful person? What are we meaning to communicate about their character? The, the biblical word here, it, it denotes something that's firm, something that can be counted upon. Uh, common synonyms would be dependable, reliable, trustworthy. Loyal. The word also has this connotation of absolute honesty, a person of integrity. So this morning, with the assistance of author Jerry Bridges once again, we're going to break this down into three particular areas for us to consider as we think about faithfulness. The first is this. To be faithful means that we need to live with absolute honesty. Absolute honesty. Jerry Bridges writes, absolute honesty in speech, in personal affairs, has to be the hallmark of a faithful person. As we read just a moment ago, Numbers 23, 19 is very revealing. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man uh, that he should say, I'll do this and then renege and not do that thing. He fulfills what he promises. And so simply stated, don't be a liar. Don't be a liar. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. Psalm 12:22. Proverbs 6 lists out these six things that God hates and seven that are an abomination to Him. And you know what makes that list? 
a lying tongue. Someone who goes about spreading false testimony about others. Someone who sows discord. All of those deal with lying. God hates dishonesty because it directly contradicts everything about his own character. He is complete truth. Lying is any deceit that happens in word, in action, in attitude, sometimes in silence, deliberate exaggerations, distortions of the truth, creating false impressions. Lying is when we pretend to be something that we're, we're not. It's being a, a hypocrite. You know, we get the word hypocrite from the Greek word hypocrite. Uh, and, and that word's used to describe an actor. Uh, in ancient Greece, they were called hypocrites. They were playing a part of something they were not. And we run a great risk of doing that in, in our day-to-day -day lives. I've said uh, this before that, that you know, Hollywood has nothing on, on Baptist churches on Sunday morning. A lot of Oscars and Emmys should go to us because we somehow flip that switch and we come in here and we put a smile on our face and we play a part that we're not feeling at all that day. We, we try to be something we're not. It's okay to come in here and be who you are. That's what some of the songs we sang this morning are about. We are broken, hurting people. And we come here not to show off. We come here because we need to be here. We need this faithful God. Lying is when we pretend to be something we're not. I, was, uh, I wasn't convicted about this, but I was reminded about this even within this study because, as I've said multiple times, I'm dependent upon Jerry Bridges in many turns as we've gone through this fruit of the Spirit, his book of fruitful life. I could stand up here and pretend these are all my words, but they are not. I'm quoting him significantly using his outlines and some of his definitions. Lying is when we cheat on an exam at school. It's tax season. Lying is when we cheat on our taxes. Lying is when we tell our boss we were held up by traffic when we were actually held up by the bed. It's when we exaggerate our circumstances for some selfish or, or personable gain in that life. I, I thought of it maybe this way this morning. I can try to get a hold of my wife in the day. I've been trying to call you all day. That insinuates I've called many times when I actually just called maybe once or twice or something like that. That's, that's, that's lying. It's exaggerating. Deleting search history to cover up lustful habits. What else am I missing? How else do we lie and deceive? We have to strive to be honest in all of life. Because if we're not honest in the little things, I assure you we will not be honest in the big things. We are setting some sort of pattern. We are training ourselves in some direction either towards honesty or towards dishonesty. This is a lesson, parents, I encourage you, teach to your kids at a young age. You do not want them to begin training themselves to be dishonest. You want them to be trained to be honest and forthright because they're setting a pattern. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor because we are members one of another. 
Complete honesty. Second, utter dependability. If we will be faithful, if we will produce this fruit of faithfulness in our lives, we must be utterly dependable. Few things are more frustrating than relying on someone who is not dependable. Right? Yeah, I'll take care of that. But they don't. That's why in Proverbs 10, 26, a verse that I often quote, it says this, um, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, both very unpleasant, right? If you've never just put vinegar in your mouth, just do that when you get home. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. It's frustrating when we can't depend on somebody. Bridges comments on this and says, dependability has taken a decided back seat to personal desire or convenience. I'll keep that commitment if it's convenient, seems to be the attitude and the thinking of our age. In Psalm 15, David asks this question. He says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who can live in your holy hill? And the, the question is followed up by a list of ethical standards that a person has to keep in order to be in the presence of God. And you know what's right in the middle of that list? He who keeps his oath, even when it hurts. You keep your commitment even when it hurts. God wants us to be oath keepers, covenant keepers. Why? Because he's an oath keeper. He's a covenant keeper. He's never broken a promise that he's made. And he wants us to emulate that. He wants us to be dependable even when it costs us. This is what distinguishes godly faithfulness from ordinary dependability that we find in secular society. So let's consider what this looks like in just the day-to-day -day life that we live. It's when you commit to somebody to help them move their piano. By the way, I would think twice before committing to moving a piano and ask lots of questions. But then a friend calls. A friend says, hey, I've got tickets to the Chiefs game. I don't know why anybody would want to watch the Chiefs anyway, but they've got tickets to the Chiefs game. The faithful person honors the commitment that they made, even when it costs them the ability to watch a game. Bridges writes this. He says, consider the businessman who enters into an agreement, only to discover that it's quite to his disadvantage. What is he to do? Well, the non-Christian is most apt to contact his lawyer to see if there's some legal loophole through which he can get out of the contract. Unfortunately, many Christians will seek the same relief. Not so the godly businessman. He may indeed see if there is some resolution to the dilemma that is acceptable to the other party, but he will not renege on his word just because it is legally possible to do so. He will keep his word even when it hurts. Friends, we have commitments that we make in the home every day. I'll, I'll get that project done. I'll help out with that. We've got commitments that we make in, in our workplaces every day. Commitments in the church. If you're a member of Meadowview Baptist Church, you have made commitments to one another. You've committed to pray for one another. 
You've committed to, to be there to bear burdens for one another. You've committed to, to be a set of eyes to look at each other and to, to watch out for each other because sin wants to destroy. You've committed to be a faithful encourager of the people who are seated around you today. Being a part of this church means that there's commitments that you have made. In the end, dependability is doing what you've committed to do. That simple. The final facet of faithfulness is this, unswerving loyalty. The issue of loyalty arises most often in connection with friends, right? With family. Being there for them. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. All times. Is that the kind of friend you are? Do you have an unswerving loyalty for the people in your life? Consider the relational triangle of of Jonathan, David, and Saul in the Old Testament, right? This was a really complicated relationship. Saul is the king. His son is Jonathan. Uh, his servant, Saul's servant, is David. And David and Jonathan become fast friends, great friends, who are an encouragement to each other. But Saul gets kind of tired of David, <laughs> gets very jealous and he begins to try to kill David. What does Jonathan do? Jonathan remains a fast friend, a loyal friend with David, knowing two things. One, my dad wants him dead. Knowing this as well, that this guy who I'm befriending and who I'm helping and remaining loyal to, he's going to be the next king and not me who would rightfully be the heir of daddy's throne. Jonathan remains faithful and loyal. We have to be there. That's what a loyal friend is. They're there through the good and the bad. A loyal friend is the neighbor who brings you food and sees you through a difficult season in life. I thought about the disciples. I thought how much I'm like them. They had been with Jesus for three years. They had seen and experienced and participated in so much. I mean, they took... These guys are the guys who took, you know, the, the couple fish and the, the loaves of bread and distributed it and fed 5,000 people. And then at the end collected. They knew they started with this and they're collecting more. They had watched Jesus bring people back from the dead, cause blind people to see, deaf to hear. But when those soldiers came to the Garden of Gethsemane that night, They were not loyal friends. They took off running. One of them, he was even running around naked. That's what Mark says. I mean, he, he, they did not care. They were bolting and they were gone. Paul's companions. You know, at the end of Paul's life, he had invested in so many people. 
And it seems as he writes his final letter, his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, that there's nobody there. He says, Timothy, everyone's abandoned me. Can you come? We need to remain faithful. Be fast friends, loyal friends. We must fight to not let sin separate us. Satan wants to destroy this church. I hope you know that. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to get his foot in there, in the door, and create disunity. It's what he wants to do. We have to fight for unity. We do that by, by preferring the interest of others above our own, Philippians 2. We do that with, by, by following these fruit, headlining the list, loving others. That's you before me. You matter more than I do. That's the example that Jesus leaves for us, his disciples. We must remain loyal to one another. There is a warning that, that I would throw in here. And it would be this, that, that loyalty, and I'm just going to read this quote from Bridges. He said, there's a kind of loyalty that we must avoid However, a so-called blind loyalty. This kind refuses to admit the mistakes or the faults of a friend. And it actually does a disservice. So you, you don't want to be the kind of friend that when somebody sins and makes a mistake, oh, it's okay. And you cover it up and you, you move beyond. That's not being loyal. That's not being honest. Proverbs tells us this, that the kisses of an enemy may be profuse, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. Only the truly faithful friend cares enough about you or me to undertake the often and thankless task of pointing out where we're wrong. None of us enjoys being confronted with our faults, our sins, our mistakes. So we often make it difficult for our friends to do that. As a result, most of us are more concerned about speaking agreeableness to each other than about speaking truth. And that's not loyalty. Loyalty says, I care enough about you that I will not allow you to continue unchecked in your wrong action, your sinful attitude that will ultimately be harmful to you. Psalm 141 is... Uh, one of those psalms, particularly verse 5, that makes me chuckle. The psalmist says, let a righteous man strike me. Let a righteous person punch me right in the face. That would be my translation of it. It is a kindness, he says. Let him rebuke me because it is oil for my head and let my head not refuse it. What's the psalmist calling for? A loyal friend. A loyal friend who will say, you're wrong. 
There's sin that needs to be dealt with. Not in a judgmental way, in a faithful, loyal, loving way, the same way in which Jesus would encourage us, our Father encourages us. Are you a loyal friend? Are you loyal to those around you? Are you there for them? Are you willing to speak truth to them? Are you a friend who prefers the interest of another above your own? Are you a friend who doesn't let sin separate you from others? I want to consider just a few truths in closing. The first one is this. We have to acknowledge the biblical standard. Don't leave here today comparing your level of faithfulness to somebody else who's sitting around you. That's not the standard. The standard is God. He is completely faithful, absolute honesty, utter dependability, unswerving loyalty. He is faithful to us. So study the faithfulness of God. Let that be the standard by which you live your life. Let the mirror of God's word inform you how faithful God is and how faithful you're called to be. To evaluate your life with the assistance of the Holy Spirit.